Fear is one of the most powerful motivators that we can have in our life, but it is almost never a good motivator. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, My colleague, friend, and fellow storyteller, Taylor Sledge, saw the way that his parents wrote the stories of their own lives, and their constant presence, love, and support gave him the foundation he needed to tell his story, too. Taylor's dad was an attorney. He owned his own business in a risky area of law, so his income was always up and down. But Taylor loved that he set aside his own schedule and never missed family events. And so does his mom listening. was a flight attendant for Delta about Airlines. When you were she was kid. never afraid to talk to Man, anyone, people would regardless of how kid, different they were to her. Say, and this made a really huge young, impact I would say that I wanted Taylor. to be a scientist. Taylor founded the big but small business story a, to like tell the stories of entrepreneurs more than like actual, who are driven by like purpose, character, and belief. So Their trademark slogan, it's never just business, reflects his belief that your career or company is about the lives of other people. Not just making and, uh, money when, and an understanding school, of psychology really and the human condition are crucial to making and creating and, uh, actually, authentic business college, relationships. That was my original it seems simple. And Your career is about the lives know, of other people, but a lot of business people still don't understand that. And it Dude, took Taylor a while to realize this. it too. Okay, but when Taylor was 27, was he had a business deal go upside down. He realized that he was experiencing the same gut feeling that he had when he was 10, you know, bringing okay. home a bad yeah, report card. Yeah. <laughs> there were areas in his life that's what where he wasn't on living as, well. as an adult. Uh, so that's, that's and this funny. inspired and him to work out where he needed to grow. Theater when and it's an ongoing I, journey. I was, Something I was that really matters to Taylor is a legacy. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't think that we spend enough time considering it, but believes that we have the responsibility of setting a trajectory for the future as a result of every decision we make. Now bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, Awesome. And grace for impact you as we engage with this powerful your conversation with my buddy Taylor Sledge. Your, your acting, your curiosity in that regard. Who are the people that were around you at that time that helped you cultivate that curiosity? Well, to answer that question, the first thing I would say is I've always, even when I wasn't being intentional about it, I've always engaged in what I call democratic thought thought of democracy, which means that I would enlist the opinions of of several people that I really trusted in my life. And I've just been blessed to have great parents. They always really motivated me and they always really encouraged me to try to go out and grab a piece of my potential 
um, even when I was younger, even when I didn't know what it was and uh, when I didn't have the confidence to take those steps myself. So one of them I would definitely say would be my mom. Uh, but what's interesting is, and we didn't start dating until later in college, but one of the people that was in one of the first musicals I did with me was my wife. And so um, it's, it's, I'm from Mississippi. You know, my joke is everyone in the whole state is my cousin. You know, everything is very intertwined. Uh, we all know each other. And so, um, I mean, I could make a huge list. Uh, one of the most successful business people that I know, who's still one of my best friends in the entire world, uh, was also there right with me in high school and motivated me to, to get it done. The, the, the person who instructed musical theater and the person who instructed a men's jazz ensemble that were singing were both big parts of telling me that basically you, you need to just give it a try, just give it a try, just give it a try, just give it a try. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know that breaking out of the box of the, the stereotype that you believe when you're a football player, and like the certain things you're quote unquote supposed to do. That was a really healthy thing for me to do in high school. I didn't even know. I, I knew none of that at the time. I didn't even yeah. know what it meant at the time. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, I, like I said, I, I could go on and on with the people that motivated me or engaged to inspire me because I've always had a high capacity for having a lot of relationships. I think that one of, well, I know that one of the common threads that ties a lot of really high performing people together are the, the parents that they had and, and how they spoke to their children at a young age about their potential and, and about facing their fears and doing hard things. And, and it sounds like that is, is something that your parents you know, breathed life into you in that regard, that you had a great deal of potential that you could do hard things. What is a hard thing that you recall your mom or dad making you do as a kid that you did not want to do, but you, that you are so grateful now in reflection that they made you do it? Oh, well, I'll pretty much everything. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do anything that they wanted me to do. But I'll just say generally, like the first thing that comes to mind is I changed schools. I changed we, we, we moved uh, not really far away. We still had kind of like the same concentric circle group of people that we knew. But they wanted to send me to a much more challenging school when I was 12 years old. Um, and when I say it was more challenging, I, I just mean like it, it was more intensive. The school where I was was still a good school, but the place where I, where I ultimately went was very, very intensive. And... Uh, you know, I had all these friends that their parents would sit them down and say, Hey, we're looking at sending you to this school. Like, is that where you want to go? And I thought that that's the way it's supposed to be. Hmm. And my parents sat me down and said, You're leaving this school and you're going to this school. And I was just like, I'm not doing that. And they were like, You hide and watch. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are. And so at that time, I mean, I didn't know. How can a 12-year-old know what's right for them? They cannot. And my parents had the forethought and foresight of knowing that they're the leader, not me. And so, I mean, I was totally panicked. I remember I went to that, this new school and I made a 24 on my first math test. I went in the bathroom and cried. It was horrible. And they thought, you know, that was hard for them too because they were like in this place of like, what have we done? Like, you know, they didn't share that with me. But I know that they did because I know what it feels like to be a parent now. But there were 
there were a lot of things that when I was a kid, they had a healthy view of my relationship with them. They, they knew places where to encourage me. Because they're, they're figuring out their identities, their personalities, and, and they're dreaming, right? They're, they're, they're beginning to discover you know, what some of their gifts are and might be. And so it's, there's this dichotomy of you know, wanting them to succeed and excel but also wanting to help them curate their dreams and their curiosity. And sometimes those two things conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. And for, for me, it, it happened around theater and acting. You know, I was, I was, on, I was on the path to becoming a professional actor. And, and then my dad came along. And I love my dad. You, you know my dad. He's a really good man, has a great heart. Oh, yeah. Good guy. And, and he said, you know, Mike, and I was like 20 years old at this time. And I, was, I didn't have a lot of confidence in my own decision-making. Mm-hmm. And I had spent a lot of my childhood, because my dad was an army officer for most of my, my youth, and he was gone, right? So I had spent most of my, my adolescence really craving his attention. So now I'm 20 years old. I'm pursuing this path. I'm actually kind of good at it. I've right. got... I've got experts in that domain telling me I should pursue it. And then my dad comes along and, and says, hey, you shouldn't do that because right. you might suffer. It's going to be hard. You might fail, right? And all those scary words, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you think about... And I made, a, I made a decision. I changed career paths, right? And for a long time, I resented that, right? And we, we can get into that a whole different time, but I don't anymore. But when you think about your passion growing up sounds like it was very similar in terms of wanting to be a creative and wanting to uh, inspire people through music and, and acting or whatever, through the creative arts in general. At what point did something come along and alter that trajectory? Well, <laughs> sometimes I feel like it never did. But... <laughs> Let me give you some reflection on that. So, first of all, have you ever taken the Enneagram? I I have not, but I know that you're like I'm. I'm basically I'm. I actually am. Uh, I I, have ta- I take that back. I've taken it once a long time ago in a book called The Art of People, and I think I'm a three. Okay. Well, strong recommendation on reviewing that. Uh, I just took Ian Crone's new Enneagram test, and it confirmed what I already had tested before, which is that I'm a seven and a seven is the, the enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Okay. A seven is the, the visionary enthusiast. So extremely fertile mind on new ideas and new concepts. And, uh, but like super mega variation, new thing, new thing, new thing all the time. And it, sometimes that can be absolutely crippling. Sometimes yeah. it's just like, Taylor, don't do any more stuff. Stop. <laughs> And which is one reason why I'm so grateful for my wife because I've learned the hard way in business and she's really helped me with the way that I think. But I've learned the hard way in business that a jack of all trades is a master of none, you know? And uh, that's a real problem. You've got to be good at something. So when I was growing up, just to give you some more, you talked about childhood, just reflection. My dad is an attorney, but he always owned his own practice. And the type of law he practiced was very risky. 
It required a lot of mental and emotional fortitude and huge financial investments just to be able to get through it. And so this career income was like a roller coaster. Um, I mean, it would be great some years, terrible some years. And, you know, I didn't, my parents never made me feel like there was uncertainty in a way that I needed to be afraid, but they wanted me to respect the fact like your dad is going out and taking risks and he's doing it to, to supply what you need for your life. And you need to really respect the time that he's taking. He never missed anything. And he got that from his father who never missed anything. And I'll never forget when my grandfather, uh, on Father's Day, when I was 11 years old, my dad went behind the pulpit at our church to talk about the importance of being a father. And he said, the first thing he said was, my dad has been to more baseball games than Cal Ripken Jr. Hmm. And I'll never forget that. It was like my, my grandfather, who was like super stoic man, started crying. You know, and so my dad has had always had that same feeling belief. So the trade-off was, hey, I'm going to be in this career where I am in charge of my destiny and where I can do what I want to do with my time. But the exchange is it's very risky to do it that way. And that's that's kind of one of the nexus of entrepreneurship. I mean, it's it's not always good. It can be really, really hard and really suck. But the exchange is the control that you have and the risk that you take to get that. So that was what I grew up. And he was, he was always so consistent with the way he treated us. You know, he was always so consistent with the way he treated us. And he was always so consistent with the way he loved us. And he, and he still is today. And my mom is the eldest of three. She has classic eldest child components. Like, I'm going to please. I'm going to be organized. I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to handle it head on. I am fine being a leader. I am fine taking charge. And so those were really advantageous for us because I saw her have confidence and really have a calling to being a mom, like in a way that was, in a way that was truly um, inspiration. It really, really was. It, it, it was never like, oh, just all these kids and I'm just tired. And it was never, she, she looked at it like it was the greatest thing she could have ever been honored with by God was that calling to be a mom. And my mother was a flight attendant for 20 years. And she took a severance package when I was 10 years old. And by the time I was born, she was pretty much only running part-time Delta Airlines. When she took that severance package, it guaranteed our family unlimited free flights for the next 20 years. And so my entire life, I've had the privilege of being raised by a dad who was a consistent leader who loved us and took risks in business so that he could give consistency to his family, okay? And a mother who always just put in as many times as possible, don't limit yourself ever. And every person is extremely valuable. Those are the two things. And so we traveled all over the world. By the time I was 24, I'd been to almost 40 countries. You know, we, we, would, we would go and we would go to Europe and the whole thing would cost 200 bucks. We would, <laughs> stay at the, we would stay at a bed and breakfast that was very, very, just, you know, very basic. We would pack two pairs of blue jeans and put it all in rolling luggage, you know. And um, I mean, it was, it was an amazing 
experience. Um, and my mom was always the kind of person that would, we would go somewhere and we would meet someone that was totally foreign to us. You know, we would meet someone who had, you know, tribal markings on their face or, you know, something that they wore on their head that had some type of, you know, religious point or a special type of clothing. And she was never afraid to say, let's, let's talk to this guy. Let's talk to this lady. Let's meet this person. I, I grew up, I'm, I'm a Baptist. I grew up Methodist. We are, I grew up in a Christian family that honored God. And I'm trying to raise my children the same way. But my mom was the kind of person that if Seventh-day Adventists or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or somebody came and beat on the door to our house, I mean, just because they believe something different didn't mean they weren't valuable. She would, she would always be like, come on in, sit down, you know? And, uh, and she was just always very welcoming. Say, hey, these are, why don't you meet these guys? You know, these, what are they doing? What are you all clothing? And she was never afraid to say, let's, let's talk to this guy. Let's talk to this lady. Let's meet this person. I, I grew up, I'm, I'm a Baptist. I grew up Methodist. We are, I grew up in a Christian family that honored God. And I'm trying to raise my children the same way. But my mom was the kind of person that if Seventh-day Adventists or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or somebody came and beat on the door to our house, I mean, just because they believe something different didn't mean they weren't valuable. She would, she would always be like, come on in, sit down, you know? And, uh, and she was just always very welcoming. Say, hey, these are, why don't you meet these guys? You know, these, what are they doing? What are y'all doing, guys? Why are y'all, why are y'all here? And um, so anyway, my parents were... I just had the huge, major, unbelievable blessing of from an emotional, mental, and support standpoint of being on third base from the beginning. I mean, mm -hmm. like the foundation uh, that I have of love from my family, the foundation that I have of support from my family, I mean, it's, it's better than any lottery ticket you could give me, no, no matter how big the number. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just... That that I, I hope that that courses through me when I deal with my own children and my own wife. I mean, I think they couldn't have given me anything better. Sorry, I got a little excited there, didn't I? <laughs> Here we are again, my friends, another week. And Master the Key is continuing to have a transformational impact in the lives of those people who engage with its message. And this Amazon review comes from my friend Mark. And he says, this is a captivating and powerful message. I seldom get through a book in less than two weeks as I like to slowly digest what I am reading. Master the Key was a pleasant change to this pattern. I started reading it on a day that was full of obligations and tasks to complete, but it was so engaging and transforming that I kept coming back to it and finished it in the wee hours of the morning. And I still accomplished what I had set out to do for the day. It was an energizing read and has given me a lot to work with as I continue on my path of personal change and service. I am so impressed with the prose and storyline. I was expecting a book that taught some principles, but this Im immersed me in them in a real and pleasing way. I can see myself doing the things it teaches, and I am happily implementing them for, for a better life. Thank you so much, Mark, for that beautiful review. I'm glad that the book is having an impact in your life. I encourage you to hit pause, head over to Amazon, and pick up a copy or two of this transformational book for yourself and for a loved one, a colleague, and pass it along. Now back to the show. It teases it up to segue into story because 
you know, the book is all about mastering our story, our our gifts, our our action, and our community, and it teaches that using these characters. And one of the things, and I love that you use the word foundation because you obviously had a great foundation to set you up to to be the successful man that you are. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that you had so many people around you that believed in you and mm-hmm. believe in you today. And, and that word, believe, actually means to basically to be loved, right? So mm-hmm. they were loved to you, right? But we oftentimes lack the most belief in ourself, right? Mm-hmm. We oft, there's, there's different moments in our life, different impact moments that start to crack our, the narrative that we tell ourselves and the, and and the energy that we show how we show up in the world and the different crises and failures and those moments really rock that foundation and test it so when you think about your own story right the the, the narrative that you tell yourself and, and you have a very positive one but i can i would wager from a betting man that there is also an equally sometimes very strong and powerful narrative that you have to fight against in order to continue being who you know you are created to be. So I don't know if you're in the, in the, in the moment in the book, actually, I think you are where, where the janitor leads Steve down into the wine cellar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he teaches Steve about the process of how wine is made Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's a very brutal process. Mm-hmm. And yet we celebrate each other with its fruit. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'd love to hear from you about some of the, the challenges, that the negative narratives that you have had to fight with in your own journey as an entrepreneur, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. Yeah. So there are multiple. So the first thing that comes to mind in general is battling insecurity in one way for me. I've always struggled with my weight. And in the last couple of years, I've gotten a lot more serious about my health. But when I was younger, it was a problem. You know, and, and it still is today. Uh, and the issues of insecurity, of how I viewed myself, and was I not good enough? And you know, what that I was you know, second rate or you know, that I would I would never be. Uh, something that I hoped I would be, because especially when you're a young, when you're a young boy, and everybody, you know, says, "Well, I'm going to grow up to be a professional baseball player." I'm like, I don't see that happening. I'm not, mm-hmm. You know, and so I thought, well, I, yeah, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going to settle. The other thing that I really struggled with was I never could figure out what I wanted to do. Like, I mean, even as I got into adolescence, you know, I've seen these people. I went to this high school with people that were super driven and. Like my wife is one of them, super smart, got accepted to Harvard, you know, and um, she's a doctor. And, you know, all my friends were doing things like that. And, I, you know, I, here I am, like barely scraping by a math class. And um, so it, it was weird because I, I didn't believe that I was very intelligent, honestly. I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't motivated. My parents always, you know, would, would make sure that I knew, like, no, you're smart, you can do this. But, I would just I always struggled, and part of the one of the things that I learned about the learning thing was the way that I learned was not necessarily what was formatted for me in high school. And 
I learned through refinement in my professional career that uh, I'm actually really good at math. <laughs> it just had to be something that I went through. As far as the self-image deal, you know, I've always struggled with my self-image. I've always hated the way that I look on camera. And um, I went through a period of time earlier, like in 2017, and my wife and I had some struggles, big time struggles with some fertility issues. And it was just a really, really sad and challenging time for me. And um, a lot, I think a lot of people... And everybody's story on that is different. I've heard you talk about that in some of your podcasts. And it, it's a very complicated thing because in many situations, like the morning that you deal with, it's, it's not like somebody died. Mm-hmm. But they did, you know, mm-hmm. um, because we lost, we, we had some losses there. That's really what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like in the traditional sense that you think of, of like a grandparent or a parent or somebody that you've known for 20 years passing away. So it's a very, it's a very complicated and strange thing. And it, it, really, it really got me and Catherine, it drew us closer and it put us in some experiences where we really had to discuss and think about our relationship and you know what certain things mean. And out of that, what I feel like I really began to see the things that were real and true and the things that really, really mattered. I mean, it, it was truly a separation of the wheat from the chaff. You know, you've heard that mm-hmm. terminology. And one of the things that I really took out of that was that my health and the way that I'm raising my children, the way that they view me, that, that is really, 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 really important. And it's something that I need to pay attention to um, because I had just kind of gotten to the point where I'd resigned myself to the failure of like, I'll just always be unhelpful. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And, and owning that is one of the worst things we can possibly do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it was like, it was too overwhelming to even approach it. So that was one thing that was a that was a huge defining point for me. I became dear friends with a man named Dr. John Lemansky, who is a absolutely wonderful person, and he's he's a medical doctor, and um, he he coached me. And at the same time, I engaged with a business coach by the name of Bob Brickley out of Atlanta, who is. He's, he's like Yoda, man. He's like the, the ultimate sage advisor, probably can make things levitate. I mean, he's just, he's, <laughs> he's, he's unbelievable. And so, I, you know, I, I surrounded myself with some new thought and um, it's, it's kind of hard to say it now, but I can't tell you how grateful I am mm-hmm. for those challenges. I mean, mm-hmm. they, and, and out of that came this project that I'm working on because as I began to pay attention to my health, I also began to really question like, what are my skill sets? What really matters to me? But more importantly, like, how am I glorifying God with the gifts he's given? Mm-hmm. And when I was really, when I really had to face these problems and get in the, get right up in the grill of these issues of, of self-image and I'm concerned for my wife and my family and all these different things. What I realized was that I was allowing fear to be the dictator 
of a lot of the decisions that I was making. And fear is one of the most powerful motivators that we can have in our life, but it is almost never a good motivator. Mm-hmm. My friend Steve Pluis out of Maryland told me one time, he said, fear is a good motivator if you're trying to escape a lion yeah. <laughs> or, or, if, or if you're trying to get out of a burning building and not die. Like, okay, yeah. great. Fear, yeah. then it can be good. But other than that, like fear as it pertains to self-image, fear as it pertains to business risk, like, man, you're, you're not being the best you and you're not... Telling, you know, when I pray, I, one of the things I ask God is order my steps. Show me what I need to do to glorify you with the gifts you've given me. And it's kind of like, I need to quit being so scared to use. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, and I didn't, I, I wasn't willing to face that until I had these concerns about these things that mattered so much to me. Yeah, and I, just, I look. I look back just on the years before that, and the decisions I made in my day to day life that were all about, you know, protecting myself from the unknown. You know, and um, I've like been, what? Well, like a good example is, I would, and like this is so superficial, but like the way that I would dress, like I always thought, like okay, I need to have a really expensive suit. I need to have. And I still, ha- I, I think, I think it's really great to to have a style or to wear whatever you know you feel comfortable in. But I would be, you know, I would wear expensive suits and ties and shirts and shoes and I, and those things are important at certain times. But I wore them every single day. And what I would tell people on the outside is like, this is a good thing for me to do. You know, this is this is my uniform that I'm putting on every day. It helps me get motivated when I go to work. And at the time, I mean. And still to this, I mean, I was a very high performer, you know, um, and one of the, one of, and our, the business we build is one of the best in our field. And so I would use the successes to rationalize the fear. Hey, Taylor, you are crushing it in business. And so the things that you're doing must be right, um, which was so often a lie. Mm. And so I would put on all these, you know, these clothes and present myself in a certain way. What I was really doing, was I was trying to create an internal distraction from the way that I look. Hmm. And I was trying to create a, a distraction, maybe that the way others saw me. I was, I was hoping that they would see the suit and not my failure, which is, the, which is so dumb. <laughs> I mean, look yeah. at that. It's so dumb. But, yeah. and, but I never... I didn't even know that I was really doing that because I hadn't gotten to a point where I had been forced to confront who are you and what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, I'd never gone there. I'd never gone there before. Yeah. You know, there's just so much that you just laid out there. There's this great um, saint in the, in the Catholic church named St. Catherine of Siena. She was a nun in like the 1300s. She couldn't read. She couldn't write. But the Holy Spirit spoke through her, and she ended up becoming what's known as a doctor of the church. So a lot of the doctrines that make up the church's kind of rules, if you will, are Mm -hmm. she inspired them, or the Holy Spirit spoke through her. One of the things that she said, I I actually launched my book on her saint birthday, the day that she was uh, canonized a saint, you know, eons ago. Um, But 
April 29th. And the reason I launched the book on that day aligns with something that you just said. She, one of her famous sayings was, when you become who God created you to be, you will set the world ablaze. Yeah, I've seen that quote. And, uh, and it's just so, regardless of one's faith, we should all lean into that belief that when we become who we are created to be, we should, we will set the world ablaze and we should lean into that. And one of the only ways to do that, though, is to face those challenging things. Are you familiar with a psychological principle called or theory called self-efficacy? I've heard of it. Explain. It's about feeling effective mm-hmm. and feeling powerful, right? And feeling, you know, trustworthy. That's where that's where self-esteem comes. It's it's tied directly to how we feel, whether we feel effective or not. And so you were crushing it in business, but you felt completely ineffective in your health and well-being, right? And and so you had to do these challenging things. And when you started seeing yourself overcoming those things and you start firing these new neuropathways and all this stuff, magic starts to happen in your brain. And you not only start to see yourself differently, but you start to see opportunities present themselves differently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is so awesome that you did that because that is how we, that's how we grow. That's how we, how we begin to master who we are and, and recognize the truth that we've been equipped with everything that we already need to succeed at a high level in every single area of our life. Well, so I think, so, so I think that mastering business, you can learn about any business principle you want from a school. Mm-hmm. But to really be a master of business, you must get close enough to your own problems to understand the human condition. And then you must appreciate, rarely does a person look in and say, why would that executive make that decision to create this result in a stock price or to sell this? And a lot of times the reason might be because somebody pushed them down on the playground. I mean, it's, it's, it is truly fascinating and it goes way further than what most any you know people give it credit for. Um, that's why I love the style of storytelling uh, that you've got in the book is it gets really close to the human components of, of what's happening day in and day out to try to achieve whatever you define is, as success. If I could give a summary of what I've learned over the last few years and sort of my development process is this. Every person is living in one of two realms. They are either living closer to their childhood and they are deflecting problems by temporarily medicating themselves in some way. Or they are taking steps, probably imperfectly, but they're taking steps towards adulthood to grow and take risks on taking responsibility. That everybody's doing one of two things. And if you really look at a person, and you know, God made us all, and we have to be forgiving 
of anyone's situation. And I think it's really hard for people to do sometimes because they get frustrated when somebody, you know, drinks too much or they overindulge or they do crazy things or they ruin their marriage or they drive their business into the ground. You know, I think a lot of times people are unforgiving for those things. But many, many times when you see those things happening in someone's life, it, it goes back to the fact that taking responsibility for things that maybe weren't even their fault, mm-hmm. right? Taking personal responsibility for things that happened to them in their life is so terrifying that, um, that they just stay in the same pattern that they've been in since they were seven, you know? And I identify with that because when I was having struggles, whether it be in business or whatever, because I've had my fair share you know, of struggles in every facet of life, definitely including business. I had the same feeling, okay, when I was 27 and I would, you know, a business deal would go upside down. I had that same gut feeling that I had when I was 10 and I would bring home a bad report card. It was the exact same feeling. And it didn't make any sense to me because I'm like, I'm an adult. But the truth is, there were certain things about my life that I wasn't living as an adult. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I was still identifying with those same components from being a kid. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not good to carry into business. It's there, the wounding of your childhood, childhood is an essential part of your life. It must happen. We live in a sinful world, but how, how you make sense of it and how you build on it and grow is, is where the progress of adulthood comes from. And 100%. Yeah. That, that's so, so important. And most people don't take time to reflect on that. And mm-hmm. that's, why, that's why the book has those reflection sections because the word reflect literally means to bend back and direct light or heat onto something. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we think about our woundedness, because all of us have wounds, whether they're father wounds, mother wounds, failure wounds, relationship wounds, they typically have to do with relationships. They're, most of our wounds are relational mm-hmm. um, in some way, shape, or form. Most of us passively live life with that woundedness. And, right. and as a result, the woundedness ends up driving our decision-making, driving our choices, driving how we, whether or not we take ownership over our mistakes and our lives and et cetera, right? But what, we, what God has given us is not only the ability to dream out into the future, but he's also given us the ability to reflect into the past and to direct the light onto that thing to do a little like inception action to direct the light onto that moment, that woundedness and insert healing there and insert hope there and then give it out to the world, right? To give it as a gift, right? And I think about you and I both are Christian. And and so I think about the passion of Christ and, and, you know, there's, I'm sure you've seen that movie that Mel Gibson made, you know, the passion of Christ as well as read the actual version. But, you know, he kind of took a couple of different parts of scripture and, and melded them together. But there's one moment that actually appears in the book of Revelation that he actually inserted into the passion story. And it's that moment where Jesus has fallen 
and he's wounded, he's bleeding. And his mother comes out from that alleyway on her hands and knees and looks at him. They meet. Do you remember that scene? Did you ever see that? Yeah. And, And he looks at her and he's bleeding. And he says, Behold, I make all things new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I get chills. Even yeah. like that, we all have that same ability to to take our woundedness, to take our suffering, and to and to change the way that we and everyone else sees it. Yes. And and that ties directly into our giftedness. So when you think about your own challenges, the, own, the, the suffering that you even just shared between your self-image, between which I think many, most men have self-image. Pro- I have self-image problems. Everybody um, with a pulse has self-image yeah, problems. Totally, you know. And you, you had a great guest on your, your, your show, the big small business story, a model who, who shared her, her story, Anna Clement. That was amazing. And yes. so when you think about Everything you've just said, all of the good, all of the bad, what clues about your giftedness, your own Taylor Sledge's giftedness, have you discovered hidden away as you've journeyed along making sense of all of these things? Yeah, well, one of the things that, that I have realized is that I, the, the more time that I spend communicating about something that I really believe in, the more I tend to inspire people to take action. And um, that's, that's something that's really taken off for me recently. And, and one of the concepts of everything that you're, you just said about making sense of the past, it, one of the concepts is when you get beyond that, you can begin to live in the abundance of viewing legacy. Living in view of legacy. In my opinion, people that find success in their life, whether it be like just their personal life with their family or like actual financial success of business or whatever you want to quantify success, the people that are really there are people that can live in view of their legacy because your legacy will outlast your life. It will. You. The time that you have here, you're creating definition for people that you will never meet. And you owe it to them to make decisions that say, I love you, even though you will literally never know them. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think about um, that's why people get so interested in ancestry.com because they want to know what did somebody three generations ago do in their marriage that makes sense for me. You know, I mean, it matters. If those two people hadn't met getting off that train or whatever, you wouldn't be here. So in our core business at Sledging Company, like I believe that's a huge responsibility is we are about legacy. And when I meet these business people and when I interview them for the big small business story, this this project, um, I believe that that's a really common thread in making this selection of who we're going to talk to. Because mm-hmm. I think they've gotten to the point a lot of times where they're working through being about the big picture. 
I don't think anybody spends enough time in contemplation of legacy. I think maybe it could even be scary for certain people because it's so weighty. Mm -hmm. But like we have the responsibility, we as one person have the responsibility today of setting the trajectory of literally hundreds, thousands. I mean, as far as time can go, you know, before it all ends, whatever that is. We have the responsibility of setting that trajectory today with these little small decisions that we make. Um, part of it's fear, part of it's human nature of people being so in just the minute by minute of trying to get through the day. You know, they're not, it's hard, I think, a lot of times for people to think about that. But one of the things that I've really learned through this process is that I can be great at motivating people to realize the, empow- the power, the importance, and the beauty of being about legacy. And um, it is so vast. Um, I mean, I don't know. You, you think about all of the, the classic, you know, Alexander Graham Bell and Benjamin Franklin and Michael Jordan. And I mean, just anybody who's been some like classic influence on, you know, either world history or American history. And like, really, the people we ought to be asking about is their parents. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. One of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Charles Reed. And he said, sow a thought, reap an act, sow an act, reap a habit, sow your habit, reap your character, sow your character, reap your destiny. Mm-hmm. And who you are today very much is a culmination of who your mom and dad are, who their mom and dad are, who were, who, who their mom and dad were, and all the way back to that couple on the train. And their thoughts, their actions, their habits, their character, their destiny, right? Right. And so there's a there is a through line that you know here in 2019 is still is still somewhat influenced by the origin of the Sledge family legacy, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so people don't take time to reflect on that, that that they're there is generational stuff that still needs to be healed, right? There, all of that, right? All of it matters. Yes, and that's why things like, like your, like marriage, is an example. Like your marriage is not in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Like your how you interact with your husband or wife, like it's not in a vacuum. And uh, one of the things that um, a good friend of mine, I think a guy you know, Rick Paulson. Oh, yeah, he yeah. told me one time, he said, you know, one thing that's interesting about your children is whether you own it or not, they're always studying you. Mm-hmm. And if you think of it that way, you know, how you treat 
your relationship with your spouse, just again, as an example of many other things, how you treat that relationship, it is telling a story Mm -hmm. to your kids, to your friends, maybe even to your own parents, but it can either inspire or demotivate the people that are around it. And it can, and, and it can mean something in a really, really great way. And, and it's, it's not just what's between you and your spouse. Mm-hmm. It, and so mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a massive uh, responsibility. One of the things that you're doing, the, this, the big small business story project, which is great, and you're doing a beautiful job at it. Thank you. Uh, and people should, should watch it. And I mean, you're, 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 you're getting these stories out of people. And one of the things that I found in doing the podcast for the last three years is that when I interview people, almost always, they will say, you know, I haven't ever thought about X that way before, or I've never thought about that, or I haven't thought about that in 30 years. You know, Have you had that moment yet where you've had these interviews and you're like, sitting across and they're like, wow, I haven't really ever thought about that before. Yes. Yes. And I, it, it happens every time, you know, and I think that, I think that if you're getting those responses, you're doing something great uh, because you're tasked. If you're taking the, the risk, Mike, to put yourself out there and to develop and deliver content to the world, then what you've done is you've basically planted a flag and said, I am a thought leader. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, a a great coach of mine told me one time, Taylor, you're a leader whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. So so you might as well embrace it. And when I get those responses, what I think is, okay, we're we're headed in the right direction Mm -hmm. because I'm helping them tear the muscle fibers a little. Helping them build on uh, something new, and uh, you know, I I want the experience of the big small business story to be a takeaway. Uh, I, I want them to to leave it and say, okay, we have some really interesting content now that we can share with the world, and it's going to be good for branding, marketing, whatever. Um, but more than anything, like I want it to be a transformative experience, mm-hmm. and uh, so I I love asking those questions and exploring each one. As a specific topic, and honestly, the where all this came out of, I had thought about doing you know a project like this anyway. But for me, what what pushed me over the edge and said just do it was I have always known that I had the raw tools of communication, interpersonal skills, and you know I, I knew I know that there's a certain level of of winsomeness that I can create or, or be when I interact with other people. Um, you know, those, that's one of my gifts. But self-image was the reason why I, I never did it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, moving beyond that, I just kind of thought there has to be like a product from this that can be meaningful to other people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the other thing is, I'm blessed to be in a career where what I do is, is I work with entrepreneurs and business people. And I try to help them drag things across the finish line. I try to help them achieve something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, my thought was, well, I'll just make sure that I spend the extra money on having a cameraman go with me. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, we're already going to be interfacing with these amazing people. And there have been so many times where I left something, and I was just like, I, I, 
like, I should have written that down. Um, and the other thing is, I'm blessed to be in a career where what I do is, is I work with entrepreneurs and business people. And I try to help them drag things across the finish line. I try to help them achieve something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, my thought was, well, I'll just make sure that I spend the extra money on having a cameraman go with me. You know, and um, we're already going to be interfacing with these amazing people. And there have been so many times where I left something and I was just like, I, I should have written that down. Mm-hmm. You know, th- th- that was incredible. But it was like in an office with me and one other person. This is too good. Like the world needs to know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, that was, that was part of it too. It, it, it kind of felt like a mission. Yeah, you know, and, and like I said, you are doing an amazing job. You, you, not only do you ask really thoughtful questions and draw out insight from the people that you're interviewing, but it's also really enjoyable to watch. You know, you, you've obviously invested in making really great content by asking really good questions and and leading with the heart, but wrapping it up in a way that is really enjoyable for people to to experience as well, which is also equally as important. Believe it or not, time has flown by, my friend, and wow. and and it is it is time for us to to wrap. And we didn't even get to go into action and community, and but people need to take action and follow you uh, on Instagram mainly. So why don't you tell before we ask the final three questions? Why don't you tell people all of the channels uh, that they should follow you on Instagram, YouTube, probably more YouTube because that's where they can experience the fullness of your content. Yeah, so I have a YouTube channel that's just Taylor Sledge, uh, T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-L-E-D-G-E. I've got the pictures, I got my Wayfarers on in the little pic if you want to identify it. But Taylor Sledge underscore is what I am on Instagram. And then I've also got a Facebook page. Basically, what I'm doing is we're sharing the full episodes, which are always 10 to 20 minutes on YouTube. And then um, I'm dividing them into pieces and sharing them incrementally over time on Instagram. Uh, we're definitely driving, trying to drive that Instagram presence. but Regardless, my interest truly is that you have some some type of takeaway um, from from listening to it, and that you you make sense of some of your own struggles uh, or maybe some of your own successes uh, in watching it. And I, I just really appreciate the opportunity to chat about it, Mike. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet, man. It's been a it's been a wonderful. I've known you for several years, but it's been wonderful getting to know you better today. So. Much appreciation. And same here. I ask the same three questions for every single guest when we conclude. The first question is, what is a skill set that you currently possess that if you could turn it into a superpower, you would? What skill set would that be? So a skill you already possess that you could turn into a superpower, what would it be? A superpower? I don't even... like. I- I don't. I, I can't even. I can't, I can't even quantify that in my mind. Like, what? What do you like? Like, lead, lead me. Lead me. What do you mean? Yeah. So, a skill you currently have. So, let's say communication, right? And yeah. And you're already a really great communicator, but if you could take that skill set and turn it into a Marvel style superpower, what would oh. it be? Oh. Uh. <laughs> I don't I don't know man I, I'm really struggling with how to answer that question because you know like uh, I, I I don't see myself being like Taylor the communicator like 
flying <laughs> over the tops of buildings with a megaphone. Like, hey, everybody, how's it going? I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I'll get back to you in six months. I don't okay. know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, next question. What are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing what we're capable of becoming? Number one, people are going to judge you more than you judge yourself, and they really care a lot about everything you do. Uh, they're, they're really worried about all the decisions you make. Number one, that's a huge lie that we tell ourselves. We spend way more time being concerned about what other people might think when they really, most of the time, they live their own lives. Like, you know, do what you got to do and believe in yourself and don't let the thoughts and feelings of people that you don't even know be or really even know that well be the decider for you. Like, you know, do what you've got to do um, and, and stop that insecurity. Uh, that, that'll be the first lie. Number two, believing that somehow your skill sets are not going to measure up compared to somebody else's. So a lot of times I think we look at uh, the space that we're going to go in. Like, I mean, if you're in sales, you're going to think, well, I'll never be the salesperson that that person is. Well, the issue that, that I see there is that your skill set is far more unique than you give it credit. And you can do so much more with what you have than what you realize. And if you don't go out and try it and just do it, just do it, uh, then you'll never, you'll never be able to know. And, and so I feel like a lot of times that's what we end up doing. We, we look at a, you know, a specific space we're going to work in or do something in. And we look at other competitors and we compare ourselves to that person when in reality, like, you shouldn't even be doing it. Like, you, you are so much more unique than just whatever that person has to offer. And then uh, number three, number three, and, and this one is something that uh, you know, I feel like I've struggled with big time. I think a lot of people do is don't ever believe that you can't set out on a new track, whatever that might be. You, people come to conclusions about themselves and they say, well, it's just the way that I am. I can't help it. It's just the way that I am. It's just the, it's just the, way, it's the way that I am. It's the way my mama was. It's the way my daddy was. It's the way my sister is. I just can't. It's just the way that I am. And that could not be further from the truth. You get to decide. You get to pick it. You get to choose. And if you want to point your track in a new direction, by all means, not only can you do it, you should do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the conclusions that you've made about it's just the way that I am, it's just the way that I am, um, those, those things are your own conclusions. And, and just as you made those conclusions, you can make new conclusions. Final question. There is a book by a guy named Clay Christensen. And the title of that book is How Will You Measure Your Life? But I'm not going to ask it in just such a simple manner. So it's 100 years from now. And you've left a set of instructions for a cinematographer to set up the scene to the final, the final scene of a documentary of the life of Taylor Sledge. Right? It's the final scene. And the, instruct, the instructions you give him or her are to answer that question. How will Taylor Sledge measure his life? What would that scene include and look like? Well, first of all, it would have to have music. And it would have an underlay of uh, some type of serious shredding blues harmonic. Extremely mm -hmm. important. Which you are uh, 
freaking awesome app, by the way. Yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you. But that's, that's, that's important. I'm from Mississippi. Uh, the music, you know, we're, we consider ourselves the birthplace of America's music, but music has always meant so much to me. So that would be the first thing. Um, and then I think the other things that I would, I would hope would be that I was a person who was about impact, that I was a person who, who gave of himself uh, beyond whatever economic gain that he might get. I would hope that, that that would be the case. And um, I, I would I would want there to be uh, footage of uh, my family as they grow. And um, I, I would hope that there were um, people that could be interviewed or remembered that were from all walks of life, very diverse group of people that could reflect on um, that they they learned something from me making sense of my own problems and challenges. Mm. Taylor Sledge, it has been an absolute gift having you on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. My appreciation to you, man. I, I'm so proud of you and this project, the Impact Entrepreneur Show, has absolutely been a fantastic thing for me in my life. Thanks so much. You bet. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.